0: Those were our news headlines, and this is a horse, uh, Margaret Prescott, bringing you today's show. The Atlanta Public Safety Training Center, known as Cop City, is a police and fire services training campus under construction in the South River Forest area near Atlanta, Georgia. Environmentalists and local residents have been protesting the destruction of the forest, which they say. Cop City will do, and also protesting the expansion of law enforcement training facilities. Thus far, one activist was killed in a police raid of a protest encampment. 26-year-old environmentalist Manuel Pais Teran was shot 57 times by police. Police claimed he fired at them. His family and other protesters say that is not the case. Meanwhile, on Monday, September 11th 2023, Associated Press reported that Atlanta officials have refused to verify the tens of thousands of signatures gathered in opposition to the construction of Cop City. The signature-gathering effort... Is reported as being unprecedented in its size in the history of Georgia, but nevertheless ignored by Atlanta's elected officials. The Atlanta City Council voted to move ahead with the project at a cost of $90 million. Additionally, 61 protesters have been indicted under RICO, the state's racketeer influence and corruption. Act. These protesters against Cop City could face up to 20 years in prison. On today's show, you will hear speakers from an event organized by the Alliance for Global Justice entitled From Cop City to Palestine. Organizers say the panelists explore connections um, between the U.S. and Israel in violation of human rights in both countries, in both the U.S. and Israel. Panelists drew out how the United States and Israel have militarized police forces, which helped to create Atlanta-based Cop City. They also explore how every major city's police force in the United States sends members to train in Israel in tactics Israel no doubt use against Palestinians. And they also discuss on the panel how people are organizing to resist. Let us go now to the voices from Cop City to Palestine
1: series is our Cop City to Palestine webinar. This critical conversation is not the first of its kind, but it is a very important one. We're going to be touching on the interconnectedness of the Black and Palestinian struggles, how the U.S. and Israel's dependability on anti-Black and anti-Palestinian racism. We all know that the over-policing, the militarization is to further displace, dispossess, and murder Black and brown bodies within the U.S. and outside the U.S. We're here to talk about it. We're here to talk about what's happening. We're going to be talking about repression. We're going to be talking about how to push back and collective power. I want to go ahead and get started to make sure that you hear from our our amazing panelists who've been on the ground doing this in work. I want to introduce, I'm going to be reading some bios because it's important to hear who we're speaking with today. We have the, the Honorable Erica Keynes from Black Lines for Peace, who is a member of the Black Working Class, um, Senator Jima's People's Progress Party in Maryland. Erica is the founder of Liberation Through Reading and also the co-editor of the Revolutionary African bloghood Communists. We welcome Erica. We have Charlotte Case from Sami Dune, who is an international coordinator of the Sami Dune Palestinian Prisoner Solidarity Network, an international network of activists that work to support rights and freedom for Palestinian political prisoners. She's a law graduate of Rutgers School of Law, the coordinator of the U.S. National Lawyers Guild International Committee, and an organizer with the Palestine Rights Return Coalition. She's traveled to Palestine on multiple occasions. And next up... um it, Camille Landry, who I've had the honor of working with for the last several months, who has taught me so much that I need to know. And I'm hoping that you all, if you're not already familiar with her, i um, really excited to introduce her. Our community organizer at AFTJ. She's also a human rights activist, a writer and an analyst who's deeply engaged in the struggle for black liberation and justice for all people. She organizes, speaks and teaches rights powerfully about ending racism and other oppression welcome 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 to our panelists i'm gonna go ahead and get us started tell us about your organization what was the intent behind it when it started how is it serving in today's state of the world what your organization focuses on and has it shifted this day in this day and age we'll start with you camille landry welcome welcome Thank you very much to my fellow panelists
2: and, most importantly, to the people who've taken time out of their busy activities to join us on this webinar. These issues are critical for each and every one of us. They affect each and every person in this country and outside of it who wants to see justice in their lifetime, who wants to take action to bring justice to this world. I am a national co-coordinator of Alliance for Global Justice, and that organization, our organization is just what our name says. It's an alliance of a lot of different people from a lot of different spheres, a lot of different nations, and a lot of different interests who are working for justice. And by justice, we mean economic equity. By justice, we mean an absolute end to imperialism. By justice, we mean an absolute end to racism and bigotry in any form. When We say justice, we mean a totally different approach to the world, one that is sustainable, one that is equitable, one that gives each and every human being on the planet their human right to live and to thrive, and one that also accepts stewardship of the planet, because that's very important. We don't have a plan B when it comes to planets. The history of AFGJ is of doing this work. By the way, we're 25 years old this year, um, but our predecessor organization had been around for a number of years. But the biggest issue about it when I think about where we are now is that I've personally been doing this work for a very long time. And it depresses the heck out of me to realize that I am still doing exactly, working on exactly the same kind of oppression in 2023. That I was working on in 1973. Rasha said just before we got on that the Black Panthers 10 point program, which date back dates back to the late 60s and early 70s, is very much the set of issues that we are dealing with today. And that is both profoundly depressing and a heck of a kick in the pants for everybody who claims to be a worker for justice. Obviously, we've got to work harder. Obviously, we've got to pull together more. Obviously, we have to be smarter. We have to be more principled and we have to be... um, better at organizing to overcome the oppression that we're facing today. Uh, you're going to hear more about this later, but today's webinar really is kind of a uh, an encapsulation of what Alliance for Global Justice is about. We're talking about police repression, police brutality, the police state, the carceral system in the United States, prison imperialism, how that's exported to the rest of the world, and how particularly it plays out in Palestine, which has turned into an apartheid state. Didn't we have this battle over South Africa not very long ago at all? I thought that we had come to the conclusion as a people, as a species, that apartheid, that repression, that oppression is not the way to go. But apparently we have to rework this again. So again, thank you all for being here. And I hope that what we can all take away from this today is the information that we need to move forward on the path to liberation. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much, Camille. Erica, jump right into it. Thank you all for being
3: here this evening, um, joining us in this important conversation. Um, As you noted, my name is Erica Keynes. I am Vice Chair of the Black Alliance for Peace Coordinating Committee. Um, The Black Alliance for Peace is an alliance of individuals and organizations centered in recapturing the Black radical traditions of anti-imperialism and revolutionary internationalism. So since 2017, our approach has been building unity from the bottom up by enhancing the capacities of existing organizations, but also providing an organizational home for emerging Black radicals. So We focus a lot on Black internationalism, which is a a political principle that advocates greater political or economic cooperation among states and nations. It's often associated with other political movements and ideologies, but we are specifically focused on a Black internationalism as an ideology um, and also as a worldview and political practice in a moment in which African Black people the world over understand their place in the modernizing world. So the recent reemergence facilitated by organizations like BAP of a Black internationalism eschews the choice between isolation and imperialism while advancing solidarity with the world's oppressed peoples but the road toward building transnational um, analyses, forging broad-based coalitions and alliances, uh, domestically and internationally, and creating enduring structures that can be sustained through internationalism will not be a straightforward venture. Uh, we understand that's bad, that is, that there's a structural crisis of capitalism in its neoliberal form. So, this has created a legitimacy crisis for the capitalist rulers, making the use of force a permanent strategy for maintaining their dominance. So, along with physical violence of war and repression, endemic structural violence um, has created devastating outcomes for African Black people in the US including outrageous rates of illness, deaths and inadequate health care, uh, global South-level le- uh, infant and mortality, uh, maternal mortality rates, mass incarceration and environmental racism, just to name a few. So for the Black Alliance of Peace, we understand that the war wage against the working class within the United States mirrors the war rage globally on Africans and other nationally oppressed peoples. So therefore, we understand the phenomena of domestic and global imperialism as two sides of the same oppressive structure they are counterparts thank you
1: thank you erica can't wait to hear more um i know there's some folks in the chat talking about the indictments and i know erica will be talking about that soon charlotte welcome to the platform
4: Thank you so much. Um, And it's an honor to be here with AFGJ and Black Alliance for Peace, two amazing organizations doing some of the strongest anti-imperialist work currently taking place on this continent. Dune Palestinian Prisoner Solidarity Network was launched in 2011 in solidarity with the Palestinian Prisoners Movement, which is at the heart of the Palestinian resistance for liberation, for return. For the liberation of Palestine from the river to the sea. When Samidun was launched in 2011, One of the reasons that we did this is because we realized that in English there was not nearly as enough translation taking place of the struggles that were taking place on a daily basis inside the prisons. One of the things that we say is that Palestinian prisoners represent a true leadership of the Palestinian people that has not been compromised or sold out through the Oslo Accords or negotiations with the United States or with the Zionist occupier. Palestinian prisoners represent the resistance of the Palestinian people at all levels, whether that's farmers holding to their land, teachers and students working together to build a liberatory Palestinian educational system or armed resistance strugglers involved directly in in fighting the colonizer, um, the Palestinian prisoners represent Palestinian resistance. Furthermore, the Palestinian prisoners also represent Palestinian national unity. They're a unifying force because they represent the injustice of colonialism, as well as the potential to fight back against it. But they also are a bridge for internationalism. And this is a role that the Palestinian prisoners movement has embraced itself, forging ties and uh, links of struggle with Black liberation prisoners in the United States, Irish prisoners, Filipino prisoners, uh, prisoners in Turkish jails, and historically prisoners. Um, fighting apartheid in South Africa as well. And so there is a strong framework of internationalism that's involved directly in the Palestinian prisoners movement, but also in confronting the um, default framework of repression that stretches from the three forces that Palestinians are facing, which is... Zionism, imperialism, and the reactionary regimes that are complicit with them. So this is why we see in the United States, the imprisonment of the Holy Land Five, Palestinian prisoners jailed for their charitable work, Amin Barasha jailed in the Netherlands for organizing for Palestine. Uh, George Ibrahim Abdullah uh, jailed in France for 39 years for being an Arab struggler for Palestine and the Palestine action prisoners in British jails right now. Um, So when we're fighting back for Palestinian political prisoners, we know that this is also a struggle. It must be a struggle for the liberation of Black liberation prisoners um, here, for the liberation of political prisoners like Leonard Peltier, for all of the political prisoners locked in the jails of imperialism. Because we break down the walls of imperialist jails. We are also breaking down the walls of imperialism and Zionism themselves. Right now, Sami Dune exists in around 15 countries. We have chapters across the United States. In Canada, but also around the world, and we're mobilizing to build the most effective solidarity that we can with Palestinian political prisoners on the road to the liberation of Palestine from the river to the sea, and in a firm anti-imperialist context, recognizing that we cannot talk about struggling for the liberation of Palestine without fighting imperialism as a whole and as a system. Thank you so
1: much. Charlotte, thank you all. It's not new that the US and Israel depend on anti-Black and anti-Palestinian racism to maintain and sustain this police militarization, like creating Cop City. Instead of investing in ways to make our communities safer, our governments continue to fund Israel's occupation forces with $3 billion to displace, dispossess, and detain Palestinians. Currently, the Atlanta Police Foundation is working as we see to spend $90 million on destroying the forest to create a COP city, a training facility that in order for more militarized police to learn how to enact enact more violence on black and brown communities. What does this advancement of establishing a militarized training center like COP city mean for the transnational and anti-imperialism movements that are seeking justice for all locally and globally? please feel free to touch upon some of the connections between the state sanctioned violence within the U.S. and in Israel. We'll start with Erica.
3: Yeah, um, okay. So that's a hefty question, (laughs) but I do wanna just point to why I think a lot of what the question is, is about why should we care, right? So the majority of African communities um, in the U.S., um, We like to, well, I like to personally talk about an internal colonialism framework. We understand ourselves as part and parcel um, of a colonial apparatus within the, the US, so we are or we African black people would be colonized people and other oppressed people would be colonized within the US. Um, and this is true and evident um, by the way that our communities are sources for cheap labor in um, factories or government jobs. Um, our communities are used for dumping ground for cheap and unsafe products or meats that are no longer good. Um, our communities do not receive uh, any functional or equivalent pay or housing, no equitable housing. Um, So there's a whole list of ways that we are colonized economically, socially. um, And. Politically, so it is a relationship that is um, categorized by institutional um, racism. And I say that to say that because we are colonized, our communities are occupied in the same way that we would see in Palestine. so some examples of this occupations, not just that predates Cop City, have been the 1033 program, which is a program implemented by the U.S. Department of Defense that transfers military equipment to local, state, and federal police. Operation Relentless Pursuit, that seven cities, including Baltimore, Detroit, Albuquerque, Cleveland, Kansas City, Memphis, and Milwaukee, have all been selected to have federal um, agents and funding go to their local police departments. And then there's a deadly exchange, um, which is a program that brings together the worst institutions of the state, which is ICE, FBI, Border Control, um, with uh, the Israeli police, excuse me, the Israeli Defense Forces. So we have thousands of cops in the U.S. that have participated in security conferences and workshops with Israeli law. Um, So this includes mass surveillance, racial profiling and suppression of uh, protests and dissent. So when you hear Vice President Kamala Harris and other Black misleaders exclaim that the U.S. and Israel share the same values, um, these are values that are rooted in settler colonialism. And these values can be clearly connected in the deaths of Ayd al-Alaq and George Floyd, who both died using the same tactics that you can find being uh, utilized in the training between uh, the U.S. police departments and the IDF. And just like the calls to defund the police um, that we've seen in 2020, politicians also push back on the BDS movement, signifying that those shared values through money spent in support of policing here and policing in Palestine.
4: Thank you so much, Erica. Charlotte? Thank you so much, Um, This kind of joint struggle is absolutely and completely necessary, certainly for uh, making a meaningful movement in solidarity and for the liberation of Palestine in the United States and throughout North America, Uh, that we have responsibility to engage and build an alliance, a movement together with anti-colonialist and anti-imperialist movements that are fighting back. And those include the Black Liberation Movement, those include the Indigenous Liberation Movement, Those include these movements that have been fighting on this land for hundreds of years uh, to bring down and to challenge and to confront Uh, right in the belly of the beast, the system of U.S.-led imperialism around the world. When we're looking at the structures of repression in Palestine, this is something that is fully supported and has always been a project of the same European colonialism that was responsible for the genocide of indigenous people on this land, sort of the same Uh, colonial projects that are responsible for the transatlantic slave trade. This is the same project, except right now it's taking place in Palestine. It's continuing this ongoing legacy of settler colonialism and genocide and imperialism that's taking place on this land as well. When we look at how there is a constant transfer through security coordination and share of resources, Knowledge of ways of fighting back. These include tactics of interrogation, tactics of counterintelligence, tactics of surveillance. There's a reason why U.S. police departments are constantly going to the Zionist colonial entity for training. And that is because they view the occupied Palestine essentially as a laboratory for the testing of weapons, for the training of police for the testing of counter-terror activities. When we look at the way in which, for example, these uh, RICO indictments are being used in the United States, when we look at the listing of so-called foreign terrorist organizations and now the escalation of the use of uh, violent extremism as well as um, domestic violent extremism or uh, black identity extremism that we've seen terms that have been used by the Department of Homeland Security in addition to its longstanding Islamic. Homophobic campaigns, we can see um, very clear comparisons with the way in which the Zionist occupation criminalizes, uh, defines, and designates Palestinian liberation organizations and movements as terrorists for seeking defense of their land and people against a colonial occupier. And really, when we look at Cop City that's happening now, we're literally looking at people defending land and resources against a colonial force that is looking to build a military regime right there on that land. That's something that's happening in Palestine and it's something that's happening in the Atlanta forest right now. And for our movements to succeed and for our movements to confront our joint enemies, We recognize that they are collaborating with one another. They are building their security alliances. And so we have to build our liberation alliances to fight back against them and to hold them accountable and in the end, to bring those regimes down. Thank you, Charlotte. Camille, jump
2: right in. Okay, thank you, Charlotte. That was deep. I want to get down to to some nitty gritty issues here that need to be discussed. Um, first of all, for for much of my life, it has been true that um, that there has been a coalition between Black liberation activists and um, Jewish people in the United States. Black people have struggled against anti-Semitism in the same way that we have struggled against other forms of white nationalism and racism. So one of the things that actually hinders our solidarity with our Palestinian um, kindred who are undergoing apartheid type oppression right now is this notion that being anti-Israeli, anti-Israel israeli anti is being anti-Semitic. Nothing could be farther from the truth. What we are is anti-Zionists. And Zionism, as a movement, um, proclaims that the land of Palestine, which they call Israel, is for Jews only. And I might ask you to stop to think about the fact that here in the United States, Right now, we have organizations like much of the Republican Party, the Proud Boys and many other right wing organizations who are proclaiming that the United States is a land for European Americans only and that anybody else is an interloper. And I'm saying to you that there is no difference whatsoever between these two positions. And so the confusion comes in when we have organizations like the Anti-Defamation League, um, a a very large um, Jewish organization, and the American Jewish Committee's Project Interchange, and the Jewish Institute for National Security Affairs. These are... These are organizations that have spoken out in favor of civil rights for black people in the United States over the years, at least the Anti-Defamation League has. However, these organizations are anything but pro-liberation, anything but pro-black. In fact, these organizations are the very ones that have literally funded the um, training of U.S law enforcement personnel uh, to either go to Israel and be trained in those same tactics or to have Israeli uh, trainers come into the United States. Amnesty International says that every major city in the United States has received training through Israel on how to control crowds, on how to put down demonstrations and resistance of any kind and how to criminalize protest on how to control me and you and most of the other people who are on this call. In the process of doing this, um, this is also part of the United States, on the other hand, exporting its idea of prison. We call that prison imperialism, where the United States, which um, now has more African people in the United States locked up in jail, behind jail, and on criminal charges than it had of our ancestors in in, in chains during slavery. There are more of us locked up now than were bound in chains during slavery. And that's not coincidental, and it's not accidental. But... The United States export of this model of incarceration and suppression, the school to prison pipeline, um, the stop and frisk tactics, the so-called war on drugs, and all the many, many, many other programs that the U.S. government funds with our tax dollars instead of paying for health care and education, and true public safety, and maybe doing something about the fact that this summer is the hottest summer on record since human beings have been keeping record, and we're dying. Okay, so these are some very fundamental issues that tell us that we have to pay attention, not only to the knees on the necks of our citizens in a city like Minneapolis, but to the knees on the necks of people throughout the the globe who are suffering from a particular and peculiar and very oppressive and ugly kind of imperialism that the United States takes part of and for which Israel is to a large extent, to a great extent, um, they're, they're per- the, the biggest actor in this process. If you live in a city in the United States, your police have been trained to treat you the way that Palestinians are treated
1: thank you so much uh camille perfect segue into my next question considering that the intent of projects like cop city is of course to sustain the brutality against black the black community it's also there to advance the because of the advancement of our movements we saw that in 2020 when after george floyd was murdered by the state the the uprisings that this shook a lot of the law enforcement and the military the the military world right so cop city didn't come about because of that, but they further advanced it um, rapidly because of that. And of course, the pro-Palestinian movement, we've seen different kinds of repression campaigns, especially after 2021. So we're seeing so much of different laws, uh, legislation, uh, things like Cop City rep- repression campaigns, de-platforming happening because of the fear of our collective power. The stronger that we get, collectively, when we're fighting for liberation and freedom, unequivocally, without exceptionalizing, we believe that one person left behind is far too many, and they fear that. What kind of repression campaigns or deplatforming has your organizations or the movements that you are a part of faced? How do you how do you all face those challenges? Because a lot of the times this kind of disruption is meant to try and attempt to redirect our resources, redirect our funding and our energy and to take us away from the work that we're doing. So how do you all remain steadfast and despite it all? And we're going to start with Charlotte.
4: Thank you so much. Um, As you know, Sami Dun, it's a name that means in Arabic, those who are steadfast. And it's not a name that we chose to describe ourselves. It's a name that we chose to describe the Palestinian political prisoners inside the Zionist jails and their fellow political prisoners fighting against Zionism, imperialism, and reactionary regimes around the world. And so we have to take our inspiration and our lead from those who are facing an even harsher form of repression than we are. Those are those who are locked behind bars and they're continuing to resist to go on hunger strikes, to fight back, to burn their cells, to organize together and resist, whether that's in jails uh, here on this land or whether that's in occupied Palestine. And so those who are paying the ultimate price, the prisoners, the martyrs, those whose lives have been taken and whose freedom have been taken by the occupation, continue to fight back on a daily basis and so we have a responsibility to try to live up to that example if we want to struggle for their freedom and alongside them in this fight at the same time we recognize that there's a continuum of repression so on the one hand we have the killing and the imprisonment, the mass incarceration of Palestinians inside occupied Palestine. And I'm just speaking specifically about the Palestinian movement here, but we can apply these same lessons um, in different ways to various other movements for justice as well. Then you also have, for example, the blacklisting of students and professors. Dr. Rabab Abdelhadi here has faced a tremendous amount of Zionist attacks, uh, racist silencing on the SMSU campus that is continuing to do so. You have Canary Mission targeting every student who's ever attended a demonstration for Palestine. Two, you have the list, the use of so-called terrorist designations, um, anti-BDS legislation, immigration laws, as various forms of repression Targeting um, targeting movements, particularly of the Palestinian diaspora, Palestinians in exile who've been denied their right to return for the past 75 years, but also the internationalist and Arab movements um, in solidarity with and struggling for the liberation of Palestine. So, in 2021, Sami Dune was one of uh, 10 different organizations in the course of the year. Uh, who all engage in kind of activist or civil society or um, popular organizing work that were designated as terrorist organizations by the Zionist regime. And of course, this was done before 2021 as well. There was, there was just a major strategic push in 2021 to do this. Um, and we were designated as a terrorist organization. And the purpose of doing this is because, you know, they can't throw us in administrative detention without charge trial they can't just lock us up in the same way that they can inside the zionist regime itself so they have to come up with other strategies especially because the purpose of our work as samidude is to break down the prison walls in any way that we can. And so that means raising the voices of the Palestinian prisoners, raising the voices of the Palestinian resistance, upholding and campaigning for the legitimacy of the Palestinian resistance movement and the Palestinian armed struggle, campaigning to end the so-called terrorist designation list used by the imperialist powers in the United States, Canada, the European Union and elsewhere, which around Palestine largely take their cues from the same Zionist list. Um, the use. Of, this is intended to say, okay, well, we're going to, they always say they want to starve the terrorists of funds. Well, we have to say, what do they consider terrorism? Um, Zionist president, Isaac Herzog, said that Ben and Jerry's not selling their ice cream to settlements was a form of terrorism. So it comes as no surprise that advocating and organizing and demonstrating for Palestinian political prisoners is considered a form of terrorism by the same organization. Now, Sammy Toon has been unfortunately at the center of this assault on AFGJ. And it's something that we have a tremendous amount of gratitude to AFGJ for in terms of AFGJ's principled internationalism in the face of really horrendous right wing attacks. Um, and so this has taken the form of certainly financial de platforming. Uh, we have 11 Zionist organizations that have now. Formed what they call the Designate Sami Dune Alliance to demand Canada, the United States, and European countries designate Sami Dune as a terrorist organization. They held a conference in the European Parliament to declare that we are a proxy of Iran. Um, and this is a, you know the uh, CJA here in Canada the Center for Israel and Jewish affairs the largest Israel lobby group uh, they uh, they have a part of their federal platform being to uh to designate us so I, I know I'm running out of time and we want to hear from all the other speakers
1: perfect transition into Camille talk to us about what's been going on um, with the deep the attempts to de-platform AFDJ.
2: well sometimes these individuals who um who seek to Uh, work their program of fascism and of oppression throughout the world um, come at us very directly, you know, debates in the public sphere and that kind of thing, name-calling and sometimes even worse. That's all fair game. But they've just developed a new strategy and one that is very, very damaging. It's been damaging to AFGJ. And if they came for us, they will come for you in the same way. About 10 years ago, actually, PayPal decided – to drop us, drop AFGJ and not allow AFGJ to utilize PayPal to raise money. And their reasons were, we were accused by Zionist, right-wing Zionist organizations of supporting terrorism because we support the liberation of Palestine. So you can't donate to Alliance for Global Justice through PayPal. You can't donate to my bookstore through PayPal because our donations are run through AFGJ. Okay, so we got past that, and then nineteen in twenty twenty one rather, the. Discover card people dropped us from their platform and said that that we may no longer accept donations made with people's Discover cards. We fought that, we said there's no evidence that AFGJ has anything to do with terrorism. Um, To the contrary, we're in favor of liberation, we're in favor of peace, just peace. I mean, peace with justice, not only peace. Um, Discover card said we don't care. A particularly nasty Zionist right wing rag called the Washington Examiner has done a series of articles accusing us of uh, supporting terrorism. And then they have reached out directly to the banking organizations that we deal with, that we use to collect to collect funds, as does every other nonprofit on the face of the earth, and to actually distribute the funds back to our fiscally sponsored projects, who then use them for things like payroll and paying for rent and buying chalk for children to do math problems on the blackboard during their tutoring sessions and um, buy the goods that they need to make water filters so that people on the Apache reservation have clean water because, you know, they don't. Um, And other, other things that our fiscally sponsored projects do that ball once it started rolling, they struck again. Um, they prevented us from using a, a merchant banking account called company called Card Connect, which um, which handles the transactions through Mastercard and Visa and American Express and other credit cards, um, and and that. Kept on in June, um, the uh, merchant bank that we use to give uh, prepaid debit cards to our projects so that they can buy things on the spot, cookies for the tutoring program um, that that was closed down, also locking up eighty six thousand dollars of our project's money that were on deposit with the Pex card company, and then an organization, a banking organization called Paragon dropped us. It goes on and on. And the reasons for all of this are our steadfast solidarity with the Palestinian people. Because as individuals and as an organization that that has spent a couple of generations working for liberation around the world we understand what it is to have somebody's knee on your neck some of us understand it very directly and personally all of us are in opposition for it to it now we're pursuing legal remedies and we're revisiting this with all these organizations, but banks are not known for being kind. Banks are not known for being uh, for being generous. Banks aren't known for doing much of anything except what they want to do, and they take the least amount of risk possible. And so, this has turned out to be an effective strategy to really hamstring Alliance for Global Justice and our projects. Someone just wrote in the chat: How can you? How can, you, how can you support us? Somebody else just said banks have class interests. The ruling class and banks are, are synonymous with each other. You're absolutely right. This is a class struggle. This is um, a, a national struggle. This is a liberation struggle. This is a struggle against capitalism, against fascism, against oppression in so many ways. And there's not an ounce of truth in it. So, how can you support us? Um, the easiest way, and I'll put it in the chat in a second, is to go to our website, afgj.org, Alliance for Global Justice Initials.org and then slash resistance. And there is information on what you can do. We can still accept paper checks. Our home bank hasn't dropped us. Um, you can support the um, fiscal the the projects that we fiscally sponsor. Uh, you can look on our list. And if you see a project that is in the city or that is working on a topic or, a, or, or an issue or a campaign that's of interest to you, you can reach out to them directly. Um, Most importantly, you can sign on to our resistance campaign. This webinar is our attempt to help people understand the background of the attacks that have occurred against AFGJ. And I'll say it again, if they come for us, they'll come for you, because this is an extraordinarily effective means of stopping the work of liberation that we've been carrying on for over 25 years just through this one organization. they're not interested in fairness. They're not interested in justice, but we are. And let me just close by saying that um, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. And in the meanwhile, here in the United States and elsewhere, we will tear down those walls. Thank you.
1: Beautiful. Thank you so much, Camille. And Yes, we'll talk more at the end about how to join that resistance campaign if you haven't been able to. Erica, talk to us about what the repression campaigns. I mean, cop sitting itself is a whole one. So talk to us about that.
3: I think you noted earlier uh, when you were speaking that while this has not, you know, 2020 wasn't the start of this, it was the catalyst. Um, and you can see a lot of post-2020 even after the calls to defend the police, there was a lot of strategic um, calls by governors in different states and mayors in different states to about the rise in crime, right? And there was a lot of mainstream media about this impending rise in crime, uh, which helped uh, push this Cop City. And Cop City is really, in Atlanta at least, is presenting itself as a technologically advanced urban environment for law enforcement. Um, they note raising concerns regarding privacy and surveillance and potential abuse of power. Um, but Cop City will will create an environment where police essentially abuse the residents um, and this we will see it increase Um, the centralized nature of the city coupled with the advanced surveillance technologies would lead to increased monitoring control um, over the residents lives and that would increase the opportunity for abuse of power by law enforcement personnel and that's already an issue in atlanta Um, so the concentration of power and resources oh we lost you the establishment of a cop city will also um, not just be a domestic issue that we would have to deal with in terms of uh, protesting against, but it's also gonna serve as an international police training ground, at least the one in Atlanta. So that brings about several negative implications. If Cop City becomes a model for international law enforcement training, it will perpetuate and reinforce approaches that have negative impacts on civil liberties, human rights, people-centered human rights specifically, and community relations. So already in Atlanta, um, there's a Georgia International Law Enforcement Exchange Program known as GILI, which explicitly works with the Israeli occupying forces to train police from and around the country. And that happens on Georgia State's campus. Um, so the Black Alliance for Peace Haiti Americas team, with that understanding, recently launched the Zone of Peace campaign alongside key partner organizations in an effort to cement the idea that this is our Americas, meaning understanding how the expansion of U.S. hegemony through militarization in the region affects the entirety of Americas, um, Norwegian's Americas. So I, I mentioned that because COP cities will result in a replication of oppressive and abusive policing tactics in the countries where uh, graduates of Cop City training programs are deployed, potentially exasperating social tensions and undermining democratic, true democratic principles, um, just like the School of the Americas, which is also in Georgia, uh, which is known as the Western Hemisphere Institute of Security Cooperation today. So while COP CITY and uh, what was formerly known as the School of Americas are distinct entities, they share common elements in terms of training and law enforcement practices. So COP CITY aims to create an advanced urban environment for law enforcement operations, again, incorporating surveillance and data analysis um, and analytics. Uh, this aligns with the historical focus of the School of the Americas on training military and police personnel in tactics, intelligence gathering, counterinsurgency operations. Um, so this connection between the two institutions serves as a backdrop for critical examination, um, not just of what's happening in Cop City, but how occupation through the expansion of Western hegemony replicates itself. Um, so we should have a scrutiny of Cop City's approach to law enforcement and the safeguarding of civil liberties, especially as we know that this that that scrutiny and organizing against these institutions brings on the repression that we see these 61 uh, protesters now facing today.
1: Thank you. This is just the beginning of our series. We will hold more webinars. Uh, we'll have a part two of Cop City to Palestine. I want to give the panelists a chance to wrap up. I know that we're three minutes pushing away, but if you're able to stay on just a couple more minutes longer to hear our closeout, we want to hear final thoughts. What are our calls to actions and ways folks can participate in solidarity as we fight to stop COP city and struggle for Palestinian liberation? Camille, we'll start with you and then Erica and Charlotte, and feel free to just jump off mute once the person is done. First of all, I think it's critical
2: that we understand the nature and the depth of what's going on. So it's up to you as individuals to learn more about prison imperialism, about mass incarceration, about apartheid uh, situations and oppression in Palestine it's important that in your own struggles and in your own communities that you look for and recognize the global connections when they shut down a factory in your city that means that people in Cambodia or Haiti or Zaire or someplace else are going to be pulled into slave labor type arrangements to make cheap goods um, and provide services for people in the United States and Europe um, to the detriment of people elsewhere that becomes just not a problem in your own community. It is a global problem. You need to recognize that because we must stand in solidarity with people who are suffering across the globe. It's important that you speak up, that all of us speak up and speak out about issues like prison imperialism. The United States exporting the tactics used in our war on drugs in our stop and frisk in our cop cities in Atlanta. And now I didn't know about the one in Baltimore Um, when I when 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 people in my hometown of Oklahoma City stand in peaceful protest in a candlelight vigil for somebody killed by the police. And they roll something that looks like a tank down the street with automatic weapons pointed at us. That is prison imperialism here at home and that is exported someplace else. It would take me more time than we have left for me to list the countries across the globe. but I'm sitting here looking at a a list of about 30 of them to which these tactics and this material has been exported to continue to put down protest, to continue to put down people's liberation struggles.
0: If you've missed any part of this hour from 10 this morning for 90 days after that, just go to kpfk.org, scroll down to archives, click on Sojourner Truth. You'll be able to hear the show in its entirety. And we are also nationwide and worldwide on SoundCloud. Just look for Sojourner Truth with Margaret Prescott. By the way, SoundCloud is a free download. And today we'd like to give a shout out in the United States to our Sojourner Truth listeners in Atlanta, Georgia, and internationally. We would like to give a shout out to our listeners throughout the Palestinian territories. We're out of time. I'd like to thank Alliance for Global Justice. I'd also like to thank Jose Benavides for his help in preparing today's show. If you'd like a copy of today's show, please contact the Pacifica Radio Archives at 1-800-735-0230. Go online to PacificaRadioArchives.org. Stay tuned for more programming on your local uh, Pacifica station. Sojourner Truth will be back on the air next Tuesday. Thank you for listening you all please stay well and safe this is your host Margaret Prescott